Hello and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. Praise the Lord. Praise the living Jesus. Um, we would like to, I would like to appreciate God for the privilege that I have to share God's word with us. And I would like to appreciate our fathers, um, Pastor Davis and all the elders for given me the permission to share with us. We've been on an interesting series um, titled Looking Unto Jesus for the past three weeks um, since the beginning of this month. That's the theme that the Lord has given us. By now, I believe that Hebrews 12.2 should be a memory verse for everyone. Without opening your Bible, who can recite Hebrews 12.2 by heart? Without opening, not the Bible on your phone, not your physical Bible, who wants to do that? You could get a gift. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. That's where our theme for the month came. Why are you all looking at me? Hebrews 12, 2. You need an expo. No, I won't give you. No, not you, Dickin. <laughs> okay. The full verse. <laughs> all right, so... Okay, so Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, um, who for this, uh, for the joy, go on, <laughs> who for, yeah, who for the, the, yeah, joy set before him, endured suffering unto the end. Of mm-hmm. That's, that's beautiful. Wow, Sister Lioness revised version, L-R-V. <laughs> Is it the A part that you know or the B part? <laughs> Amen. That's beautiful. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now he sits by the right, right hand side of the Father. On our behalf. I wanted us to recite that by heart. That's why I've not put it on the screen. And the lyrics of this song, I won't sing it, I'll just read it out. This has inadvertently become our theme song for this month. I have a message from the Lord. Hallelujah. The message unto you I'll give. It is recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and leave. And then the refrain goes, Look and leave, my brother, my sister, leave. The person that composed it was not, I mean, was being, is it feminist now? It's only brother that he put, he didn't put sister, but look and leave, my brother and my sister leave, look to Jesus now and leave. It is recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and leave. Our text for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 18. I would like you to read with me. I will jump a couple of verses, um, but I want us to follow either on the screen or in your Bible. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, but we don't, we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. 
For the true competence, our true competence flows from God's empowering presence, and he alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. But the letter of the Lord kills, but the Spirit pours out life. Let me pause and give a bit of context. So this is Paul writing again to the Corinthians. You know, we are studying 1 Corinthians in our Bible studies, but this is 2 Corinthians, which actually in effect is Paul's, probably is the third letter to the Corinthians because there was an earlier letter that we don't have. But in any case, it's responding to some questions that some of them have asked him about, what is your proof? What is, what is your evidence that you are even qualified to be speaking to us and writing to us? What's the authority that you have? to be sharing the kind of insights and wisdom that you share with us. You can see that those Corinthians, they are really, really some interesting bunch. Um, but Paul goes on to say right from the beginning of that verse that we don't need any letter of recommendation. You yourselves, by your lives, by the transformation, by the changes that we have seen, you yourselves are our letters of recommendation written in your heart. And then it goes on in carrying that analogy on, and then we jump into verse six, where he begins to speak about this, to say, our sufficiency is not of anything. It comes from God. Verse seven, even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory. Though it produced death, the Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor that was shining from his countenance, a glory that is destined to fade away. Now he's beginning to take them back to the Old Testament, back to Mount Sinai, back to their forefathers, back to the time of Moses, when Moses received the law, the Ten Commandments. If you go back to the Old Testament to read that passage, you will discover that on the same day that the Ten Commandments was given, 3,000 Israelites died. But of course, we know that on the day that the church was battered, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and Bible says 3,000 people were saved. The law, the letters of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 10, so what once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry, verse 11, the fading ministry came with a portion of glory but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then with this amazing hope that is living in us, we step out in freedom, we step out in boldness to speak the truth. Now, this is where I'm going from verse 13 to 18. We are not like Moses. We use the veil to hide the glory, to keep the Israelites from staring at him. We use the veil, rather, to hide the glory, to keep the Israelites from staring at him as he faded away. So until now, Whenever the old covenant, the old testament is being read, that same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord, the moment one looks to Jesus, the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now it's beginning to describe what is going on in their hearts, what has led to the transformation that has brought about a process that is making them better people. And he's saying that it's because they are now in a new covenant. They are now in a new covenant that began by looking, turning to Jesus, turning from wanting to please God by your works to receiving the finished work of Christ. And that when you do that, something happens spiritually that makes your spiritual blindness 
to be terminated and now you begin to see verse 17 and 18 which is where we're really going now the lord i'm referring to is the holy spirit and wherever he is lord there is freedom verse 18 we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the lord jesus we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Spirit of God, speak to us this morning. Let your word come forth with clarity. Revive us, O Lord, and help us to appreciate this priceless and precious gift that you've given to us as we continue to look unto you. In Jesus' unfailing name, we have prayed. Amen. Now, I want to take you to a short story that I heard from a friend. In my very first book, I published this 2009 when I was in final year in uni. There was a friend I had when I was in university that told me a story that she heard from a pastor, so I don't know where the story comes from, basically. But the story goes thus. There is a kingdom, and whenever a king dies and they want to elect a new king, they come together to bring the kingmakers together. You know that one of pastor's favorite quotes is that kingmakers don't necessarily look like kings. In this kingdom, the kingmakers will come together and have a very long meeting. And they, 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 they will determine what do we want our next king to be like. Every possible detail. He must be as high as, or as tall as this. He must be of this complexion. He must like to dress like this. He must be able to do this or that. And they will list out all the qualities that they want in their next king. So it so happened that, of course, at this point in the story, the king had died. The kingmakers had met together. They had their long meeting. And they came out with a very long list of things that they want in their new king. Now, the next step of that process is they invite the chief sculptor, the best sculptor in all of their kingdom to come to the meeting and they hand over the list of all those qualities to him. And they will say to him, go and mold, go and carve an image that would satisfy all of these details. Give us an image, a life-sized image of someone that looks like all the details you can find in this list. And of course, he goes on to do that. And then when they finish carving the image, they will put the image in the center of the market square, which is in the center of the city. And then they ask the whole community, this is your next king, but we don't know him yet. Whoever is able to locate the person that looks like this is a winner. All we just need is bring us that person. Whether it's a stranger, whether it's a visitor that is just passing by, as long and as soon as you see someone that looks like this image, bring that person to us. Or come and tell us. Come and tell the kingmakers, and that person will be crowned the king. And of course, the person that finds out will also inadvertently be rewarded by some kind of reward. And so everybody, of course, goes on trying to hope that they will be the one that will find who their next king will be. But there was a young man who took this assignment Personal. Every morning before he goes to work, he goes to the market square 
he looks at the image again, he builds it, he looks at it from different angle. Okay, this is how the head looks like. Okay, I will go out into my workplace today with that image in mind, hoping that maybe I might be the one that will find the person that looks like this image. And then when he's coming from work again, before going home, he goes back to the city center, to the market square. He looks at the image again, try to see if he's missing any other information, and then goes on to his house, carrying that image within him. And he did this consensuously, morning and evening, every day. And of course, for this whole period, the kingdom was without a king. What he did not know, I mean, one day he just woke up. And he discovered that the kingmakers were standing outside his house. In fact, they woke him up with all of the rights for coronation ready to be done to him. And he was surprised, like, what, what are you people talking about? I don't look like that image. But what he did not know was that in the kingdom, there is also some powers behind this arrangement, this ritual that they do, such that the more you are looking at that image, the more you are becoming that image. The more you are looking at that statue, even though it's just a statue, the more you are being transformed unconsciously, accidentally, unknowingly, to become like that, to the point where his neighbor started looking at him and wondering, ah, this guy actually looks like the image in the city center. And by the time you know there are eavesdropping here and there, different people saying the same thing, they thought, okay, it's better we just go and tell the kingmakers. And indeed, he was crowned as their next king. Now, in that story, of course, to look for the king <laughs> is to become the king. That's what the story of this young man is. In the process of looking for the king, he became the king. But what we read in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, has the same analogy, that the more you look to Jesus, the more you behold him as in a glass the more you are becoming like him. So to look unto Jesus is to become like Jesus. In other words, we start from the point of looking unto Jesus so that we can receive all that he has to offer, the grace in its manifold dimensions. We heard all the wonderful testimonies today, grace to have another year, grace to preserve, grace to protect, grace to single you out of many. Grace for restoration of all that is lost. Grace in all of his different dimensions. And we get that as we continue to look unto him. But there is something else going on, and that's what I want to draw attention to today. That as you continue to look at him, and of course, again, this is not just a July thing. This is for the rest of our lives. Something is happening, should be happening in you and with you and within you that will lead to people coming to say, she looks like Jesus. He looks like Jesus. He does things that are different from the way that those of this world will do it. Now, I want you to imagine something with me for a moment, just hypothetically. Imagine that Jesus became you right now. Like Jesus became Joseph Kolaola. Jesus became Titi Aderibigbe. Jesus became Paul Davis. Jesus became Esther. Jesus became precious. Imagine with me for a moment, in your current situation, nothing changes. You still have the same challenges you have. You still have the same parents that you have. 
still has the same spouse that you have with all of their uniquenesses, positives and negatives. You still have the same boss at work. You are still working with the same kind of people. You are still in the Apostolic Church Liverpool <laughs> as a member of the church. You are still doing all of the things. You are still living where you are living. But the only change that happens is that it's no longer happening by your heart, but the heart of Jesus is inside of you. If that were to be the case, what would change? What's, what would be different in how you are living right now? What's, what would the next 24 hours, for instance, what would that look like for you? What would you do differently if Jesus were to be the one directing the affairs of your life? Just, just pause and think about it. Your schedule, your obligations, your account balance has not changed, by the way. Your bank statement still looks the way it looks. But it's in the heart of Jesus that is in your heart. Imagine that even your, your, your bills, they have not increased or decreased, <laughs> but it's still Jesus that is in the midst of all of that, going through those challenges, going through those circumstances, having those same appointments that are on your calendar right now, having those same deadlines that you have, writing the same exams that you'll be writing, as the case may be. Just apply it to whatever situation that you are in. Now, our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 to 18 is telling us that the gospel that saved us is a gospel that invites us to look unto Jesus as though in a mirror and become transformed progressively to become more and more and more like him. In other words, what I've asked you to imagine should actually be your reality. Because it's not an hypothetical reality. It is what is true about you. It is what is true about me. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes, really, is just to help us think through the scriptures to the point where we can begin to embrace that challenge to become who we already are. In other words, it's not that you want to become the kind of person that has the heart of Jesus because you already have the heart of Jesus. But for some reason and to different degrees, and some of those we're going to see, we don't express that to the same level, to the same extent, to the same degree. There are different ways we're going to react if we are driving and we find ourselves in a traffic jam. There are different ways we're going to react if someone is taking us for granted. There are different ways we're going to react if we are tempted or in temptation. We pray that Jesus was triumphant over temptations, but we know that we don't always triumph. So what is or what are the things that would help us to embrace that challenge to become who we already are? I'm just going to read seven scriptures. There are no specific points. Each of those scriptures, I'll reflect shortly on them, and that's the message done. And one scripture will lead to a question that will take us to the next scripture. So all of these scriptures are linked together. I just want us to take some time to think through this together. We don't have enough time to begin to, for instance, say we want to zoom into the heart of Jesus from what we can see in the Bible. That's going to take us a long while, maybe a series on its own. But I want to spotlight seven quick passages for us. The first one 
It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And I've quoted it from two translations. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Anytime you hear of Philippians 2, one of the things that should come to mind is this is the passage where we see that Jesus was, he humbled himself, even though he was equal with God. And this is the scripture where we saw that he got a name that is above every other name, the name that we've sung about, the name that we've prayed in its authority today. So Philippians 2.5 says in the New Century Version, in your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. In your life, say after me, in my life, I must think and act like Christ Jesus. And if you are wondering what does that mean, the voice translation makes it a bit clearer. It says, in other words, adopt the mindset of Jesus, the anointed. Live with his attitude in your heart. Live with his attitude in your heart. Live with all those things that we saw about him in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You want to live adopting the way he thinks and the way he acts. As a matter of fact, this is the mission statement for every true believer. If you have made Jesus your Lord, if you have made him your master, this is, this is our assignment, as it were, for the rest of our life. But then the question comes, how can we possibly do that? How can any of us possibly come to a point where we say we are living like Jesus? And that takes us to the second scripture in the book of 1 Corinthians, this time, chapter 2, verse 16. We've read this in our Bible study series for those that have been joining. It says in the Living Bible, but strange as it seems, in other words, this is not normal. It's actually strange. But strange as it seems, we Christians actually do have within us a portion of the very thoughts and mind of Christ. It's strange, but it's true. It's not we will have within us. We already do possess within us a portion of the very thoughts and mind of Christ. A portion because no matter the level of our transformation, we are not God and we will not be God. God is God. Only God is omniscient. But in the, in the scheme of things, the way he has predestined us, he predestined us to become like our big brother. And that's why while Jesus was on earth, he wasn't, he wasn't laying claims to the full powers of his divinity. He lived like you and I. He had the same struggles that you and I would have. He prayed the same kind of prayers that we would pray. Father, if this cup were to pass over, if it is possible, let this cup pass over, but not my will. Let your will be done. He prayed in the spirit and in the restraints of the spirit, as we learned in the growth track this morning. Because as he was saying that you, the Holy Spirit was letting him, no, 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 no. This is your own will, finding expression. And so he restrained himself to hard, but not my will. Let your will be done. And so the point is, we already have this and it's common for every believer so the question the next question comes why don't we all think and act like it if i have his mind why is it that sometimes my wife will say something and i'll be hungry unnecessarily i should add why is it that sometimes my i would say something to my child 
and he disobeys me and I go on, on I, I, I react in a way that is not proportionate to his disobedience. For God's sake, he's a four-year-old or a two-year-old. Why is it that I can't respond at that point in time the same way Jesus moved about that made him so amiable that even little children wanted to come to him? And the answer to that leads us to our next passage, which we've read in our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This time I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, the classic edition. And it says, all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are constantly being transfigured into his very own image, in ever-increasing splendor, and from one degree of glory to another. And for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, we begin to see that what we read about us having the mind of Christ does not automatically translate in with great faith for you, because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until, until when? The unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, until Christ comes again. It's a process that will take the rest of our earthly lives. It's a process that until you see him face to face, Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, that when we see him, we will be like him. It is until that moment when our bodies are glorified, transformed into the fullness of all that God had had in mind from before the beginning began. Until that moment, we will continue to have times when you will look like you and other times when you will look like Jesus. And they will come in between one another. And someone may ask, but why, why does it have to take so long? Why can't I wake up tomorrow and become Jesus, the second, or the third, or the fourth? And the answer to that is in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 15. I'm reading from God's Word translation. It says, practice these things. This is Paul writing to his spiritual son, who is a pastor in a huge church, the church in Ephesus. Practice these things. Devote your life to them so that everyone can see your progress. Again, we see that emphasis on the fact that this is a progressive thing. It's a process. You are moving on. You might not even feel it. Pastor was telling us this morning that prayer is not by feelings. Likewise, spiritual growth is not by feeling. In fact, you don't feel as though you have grown between yesterday and today, physically and biologically speaking. And guess what? You have grown. The number of cells in your body yesterday is not the number of cells in your body today. But you can't physically see it. You can't physically feel it. But the truth remains that something is going on. And your own responsibility is to continue to practice what is right, what the word of God says. We only get good at what we have practiced over time. And indeed, <laughs> we didn't learn to be doing the bad things that we do that are contrary to God's word in one day. We learned them over years. Likewise, it's going to take the rest of your life to unlearn some of those things and to learn the ways of the kingdom, the ways of our Father. Now to the heart of the question that we really should be asking. In the meantime, what's my part to play? 
in the meantime, what's my responsibility as I'm looking onto Jesus, that I can also be progressing in that journey of becoming more and more like him? And there are many answers we could give to that. But the one the Holy Spirit laid on my heart is in John chapter 15, verse 5. And this is Jesus using the analogy of the vine to speak to his disciples. He says, I am the sprouting vine, and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you're powerless. And the KJV says, but without me, you can do nothing. The way the Holy Spirit articulated it in my heart is to say, simply stay attached. Stay attached to Jesus. And how do you do that? He's the one you want to talk to every time. He's closer to you than your spouse. He's closer to you than your BFF. He's closer to you than your mate or your buddy or whatever language you want to use. He's closer to you than your best friend. He is or should be the one that takes that prime place in your heart. The one you want to speak to when you wake up. The one you want to tell people about. The one you want to show forth to the world. The one you want to listen to. The one from whom you want to seek counsel. And we could go on and on and on like that. Our responsibility is to stay attached. We read a scripture in Jude during our growth track some couple of weeks back, verse 21. In the Living Bible, it says that we must stay always in the place where God's love can reach us and bless us. So it takes an intentionality that I want to continue to, I know God loves me. I know that I say that I love him. <laughs> because when Peter said that to Jesus, Jesus asked him three times. By the third time, he said, Jesus, you know. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what I know. But we, we, I like to think I love the Lord. I like to believe I love him. And I know for a certainty that he loves me. But it doesn't end in just being able to say that statement. You have to intentionally place yourself, position yourself in a place of dependence on him, that without you, indeed, I am powerless. There is a story that was told of a woman when um, in Ireland, when electricity just got introduced at the turn of the 20th century, and she was one of the first people to ask for her house to be connected to the main power source. And so even though she's a very frugal woman, everybody was surprised that if anybody could make that move, it wouldn't be her. But in any case, she hacked and she was connected. But eventually, like six months later, the man that comes to read the meter came to visit and was asking her, is there something wrong? Have you been, is your light working and all that? Is the power working and everything? She said, yeah, everything has been fine. That she puts it on when it gets dark long enough for her to put on a candle. And then she puts off the light again. In other words, she has access to light 24-7. But the only time she uses it is when she puts it on to light a candle and to put it off again. And sometimes our Christian work feels like that. We are connected to limitless power. But sometimes we only just connect it a little. We are going to the bus and you remember, oh, I did not pray before I leave the house. Father, go with me, Jesus, name, amen. And that's all sometimes we get to say to him in a day. It shouldn't be. We must intentionally invest in spending time with our Father. Lastly, 
we are asking, why is this whole idea of becoming more like Jesus? Why is it important? Why is it necessary? Brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, where I will round up. It says, you see, the short-lived pains of this life are creating for us an eternal glory that does not compare to anything that we know here. Everything we are going through, the bills, the debts, the working nine to five or eight to eight or nine to nine or whatever timing that looks like for you or for me. It's all coming with so many challenges that we see day to day. But all of those things are presenting us opportunities to become more like Jesus so that eventually one day you and I will stand before the Father and he will look at us and reward us with a kind of glory that cannot be described and cannot be compared to anything that you've known to be glorious. I think that makes it worth it. I don't want to be one of those Christians that will just get to heaven or get to God's presence for the sake of getting to heaven. I want to be able to stand before the Father and hear him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Come and share in my limitless glory. Come and share in the joy of your Father. And we know from what we read on Thursday in the Bible study, 1 Corinthians 3, we know that not every Christian will be able to say that. Not every Christian will experience that. Not every Christian will hear that. That doesn't mean they won't get to heaven. They will be there. But that, the analogy Paul used is they go there like those who passed through fire. But their works is burnt off. I don't want that to be you and I don't want that to be me. And we have all it takes to ensure that our narrative doesn't finish or conclude like that. In conclusion, looking onto Jesus is central to our Christian faith. There's no doubt about that. And to look onto him is to receive his manifold, multifaceted grace. And then to continue to become like him as he has predestined us to be. Romans 8, 29 says we are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus, the image of his dear son, so that he can be the firstborn among many brethren. We come in by cooperating with the Holy Spirit as he uses God's word, as he uses our family members, as he uses your cranky boss and your lovely friend and your neighbor that when you greet doesn't respond. And all the people that we do life with day in, day out. He uses all of that, your children, your parents, your church members, in our good days and our bad days. He uses all of that to shape us to become more to transform us to become more like him. And truly, though, we must endeavor to stay attached to him, stay attached to where our source comes from, our nutrients and nourishment comes from in his word, and stay attached, feasting on him regularly, that we may not miss out on the eternal glory that is going to come on all faithful believers. Before I pray, I just want us to ponder again on the words of this song, which, again, God has given us since the beginning of the year. It's been recurrent again and again. Remember, one of our major focus for this year is sanctification as a church. And sanctification, simply put, is transformation. It's becoming more like Jesus. 
And I like the emphasis on the fact that it's a day-by-day thing. It's every single day, every waking moment. Day by day, my Lord, of you, I'm asking for just three things. I want to see you more clearly. I want to see you in the traffic. I want to see you in the words that hurt me from my spouse. I want to see you in the, in the help that I've received from church members. I want to see you in the challenge and the trial that I'm going through. I want to see you more clearly. I want to also be able to love you more dearly, more intimately. When you see him more clearly, you will love him more dearly. It goes, it's almost automatic. If you see him for who he is in his beauty and his splendor and his wisdom, you will love him. And if you love him, you follow him. You follow him more closely. You don't want there to be a gap between you. You want to be the one you are walking step by step with him. And that is our prayer. And that is my prayer as well for all of us. Let's bow down our heads and just speak to God.